Let's go. You are listening to Dollars and Sensibility, the podcast that explores the numbers, concepts, and behaviors that shape your financial life. Hosts, business partners, and friends Bill McBride and Andrew Martz are financial advisors in Hollywood, California. The for a combined 35 years have helped thousands of individuals and businesses better their financial futures. Here, they want to open these discussions to you, the listener, share the many things they have learned, and of course, how to be sensible about your dollars. Greetings and welcome back to Dollars and Sensibilities. Andrew, my good friend, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic, feeling positive and chipper and excited. Good, because you know, you know what's coming. We need a positive, chipper, and excited take on outrage addiction. Uh, this is a financial podcast for the most part, right? So we're, we're going to pivot this term that's gained some popularity, and we're going to talk a little bit about how it applies to you, your portfolio. Um, we're going to draw the line of correlation from politics, religion, and investing. And, and what do they all have in common? Well, mm-hmm. they have the ability to prey on your outrage addiction. And, th- and that's the last time I'm going to chuckle when I say outrage addiction, because this is serious, right? It's a term that was coined years ago, but it is spiraled, snowballed, whatever you want to call it. It's not good. And it's growing and it's growing in our society and it's growing inside some of us individually. So there was an article uh, on the Wall Street Journal about America is addicted to outrage, right? It's an idiom of childhood uh, and, and even a throwback to the terrible twos. So what we're seeing is that various tribes have broken off negotiations with all differing points of view, right? They excuse themselves from self-doubt and abandoning the idea of anything so weak as compromise or, God forbid, ambivalence, right? So no other perspective could possibly be valued. And we just have lost the tolerance for the 51% to 49% judgment call, right? We are, we are outraged. People give themselves over to the pleasures of self-righteousness and self-importance that come with being wronged when you know you're in the right. So, you know, I just wanted to open up the discussion, Andrew. Like, we, we see outrage addiction. Well, let's go back and define it, right? What, what are we really talking about? It's... It's when we pick up our phones or when we pick up uh, our TV remote and we tune into something and we go, oh my God, how awful is that? And then we watch three more hours about the same subject with really no more information than we had in the first 20 seconds. Yeah, this was an opinion piece, which I just think is important to note um, in, in the journal. And in the title... America's Addicted to Outrage, is there a cure? It was, I was curious to see what opinions and solutions does this author provide in what is, I would agree, a a pretty obvious problem, right? So however you define it, like the kind of the polarization of our society today on, on many different topics, the weaponization of every single event and or topic that we may talk about. So things that we should be coming together to find solutions we're using as weapons to continue to divide us more. And a quick search of the article, the word cure only appears once and it's in the title. So no solutions are offered. 
And to me, this becomes a very introspective type of problem, meaning that I don't know if there is some systemic or institutionalized way where we're going to move America in the right direction other than like we each have to look into our own hearts and decide like what is really driving this outrage. It, it made me think about my own life and I thought, am I addicted to outrage? And I think that there was probably a time that I, I was, but it's been many, many, many years since things really get me too excited or, or riled up, even to the point where sometimes I feel guilty. And in a transparent moment, like a lot of times things will happen and people jump on social media and they're outraged about this topic and the two sides are fighting and whether I have an opinion on it or not, I find myself not being terribly outraged one way or, or the other. And I feel really guilty. Like, gosh, like, sh should I be angry right now? Should I have like a dog in this fight? And the more and more things happen, I find myself astonished at how vicious and outraged and angry and the addictive nature of anger people are. And I'm like, God, like maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I can, maybe I should be more angry about things. Well, no, but I no, just, I just, this is why we're, I'm just not. This is why we're doing a podcast, Andrew, because you shouldn't be more, I, I, I'm, I'm with you step further. I am ang I am outraged at the addiction of outrage, right? Like I, I, I want people to be happy and live nice, happy lives. But, but the nature of addiction is that dopamine release in the brain that can come from sex, chocolate, alcohol. What people don't understand is that same exact synapse firing in your brain comes from you looking at your stock portfolio going down for the fifth day in a row and being outraged about it. Right. right? And, that's the same exact dopamine release that comes from you watching your political opponent of whatever side you're on and saying that person's an idiot, right? Or that person right. is saying things opposite to my values, morals, and beliefs, right? We have completely lost the, the open dialogue of open-mindedness, of questioning, of learning from other people. It is now, hey, I'm on this side, you're on that side, I'm outraged because you're on that side. But again, I want, I want to bring it back really to the, to the, the, the finance part of it. Right. So how is it ruining your life? Well, when you get outraged, right, when you get that dopamine spike and you consume more and more, pretty soon pessimism takes over because outrage, let's face it, outrage is a negative emotion. And when you compound any emotion, be it positive or negative, the peptides on your cells replace themselves with more like those same peptides, right? It's the nature of its, uh, I think that was in a book called The Art of Happiness, right? So the peptides die off billions per second, but the cells in the body ask for more peptides of the same type. So if you're on a roll, that's why if you're on a roll and you're feeling good today and you feel better tomorrow, your bloodstream is replacing itself with those positive peptides. The outrage and what, what, we've, what we've come to is the ability for people to have a phone in their hand with instant access to the second something happens. Th these, these people or these organizations or people, they know that we're going to keep clicking on those articles. We're going to keep watching these things. We're going to keep listening to those things, not the ones that make us feel good, 
because it's a seven times more powerful example of of something that that the dopamine craves to be something negative, right? So it's again, it's the the constant outrage is being fed to us, right? It sells like crazy, right? And there's this other article here um, right. from the bad influence. Uh, the, your addiction to outrage is ruining your life, right? And the article goes on to say, outrage sells like crazy because it's a strong emotion and strong emotions force people into action, right? Political parties, instead of coming together, they whip their supporters into a frenzy and corporations are yep. now getting into the action too. They weaponize your outrage to sell the products, right? Gillette with their ill-fated ad campaign and, and Nike using Colin Kaepernick to bring socially conscious consumers to their brand, right? Nike knows that Colin Kaepernick, um, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't selling those shoes because of his performance on the field. And they know that. And they're and they cap well. They, it's a they capitalize. I love that, that it's a Nike sales increased thirty one percent after that ad was released and caused a six billion dollar brand increase, which I guess they're just referring to to market cap. Right. And the question's like, d- does Nike really care about the Colin Kaepernick issue, or were they just using people's outrage and what what he stood for? as a way to generate more sales and shoes and shirts and jerseys and, and all the other stuff. I would argue the latter. And the answer, spoiler alert, is they did it for the money. <laughs> like yeah. Nike does not care about your social justice campaign. No, well, but it's- At I, all. Again, with, <laughs> with knowing the addiction to outrage, Nike not only- And the crazy it, part is if you, if you sat somebody down individually and you asked them that question, if they believe that Nike cares about your cause, they would say, no, of course not. But it doesn't matter. It still motivated the behavior. Right. right. Because I think in, individually in a, in, a, in a moment, people can recognize that. If you surveyed a thousand people, or the vast majority of them, I would bet, would Respond. No, I don't. I don't believe Nike cares. They're just doing it for the money. Right. But it's, it doesn't matter. They still bought. Right. Right. Because in their mind and, and and the rhetoric, because they they still took a stand, right? And that's it's a fallacy, right? They they took a stand to make the money. They took they took the stand that was going to be more popular and make them more money. Period. That's all, right? So the, the next article goes on to, uh, it's uh, from brainfacts.org, right? Motivation, why you do the things you do. So it's not the reward itself, but the expectation of a reward that most powerfully influences emotional reactions and memories. Now we're really going to get into the trading part of this, right? So the article goes on to talk about teens engaging in more risky behaviors because their brains are still maturing. Now, Andrew, you know, we know we've seen in the past couple of years, the whole GameStop, AMC, Robin Hood faction of, of quote unquote investing. I'll put that in air quotes because I think it deserves, Good, thank you. because it's not investing, right? That's right. It's, it's, That's it's right. the greater fool theory, buying something in the hopes that somebody else will buy it tomorrow or this afternoon for, a, for a, a bigger price. But why do we do that? Why do people do that? Well, the prefrontal cortex of people under 25 has not been fully developed, right? So they engage in more risky behaviors. That's why they jump motorcycles over canyons. And that's also why they buy AMC when it's $40 a share, right? It's, just, it's the same right. brain function that, that does it all. If you're a 75-year-old investor, you still have to honor where this brain function of dopamine and outrage addiction 
still takes place. And in fact, it can be even harder to recognize as you get older, right? If you're mid 40s, 70s, doesn't matter. The further along you are in life, the harder it is to undig your heels, to not be outraged by the things that outraged you for the past 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And it's dangerous. It's dangerous to your portfolio management because if you, for a time period, had an investment that was doing well, and there is some kind of social issue that makes you think that the fundamentals of this company are a moot point, you might make an emotion-based decision based on that outrage. When, in fact, we know that the, you know, the, the long game, the patience, the buy and hold is the way to make money in the long term. It's interesting how it drives behavior too. So we have a system that will show us when clients log in to check their accounts. And when markets are up 20%, fewer and fewer people are logging in to check their accounts. I've seen that, yeah. When markets are down 20%, more and more people are logging in to check those accounts. And what happens is, to the point you made earlier, that being outraged or being angry can make you feel smarter. It's when those, those markets are tumbling, you want to take some sort of action in your portfolio because it, you feel like taking an action is, is you controlling, you feel smarter about the decisions. You want to believe that there is some arbitrage opportunity for you to make a trade and you're going to protect yourself or make money when everybody else is losing. And the reality is that that's just not true. And a lot of times, uh, I know we're going to talk about this Berkeley study here in a second, it, that sort of decision-making patterns, individuals and in, investors trading will almost always lag the market. So this Berkeley study talks about a group of people who came together, they studied individual investors in Taiwan, documenting the aggregate portfolio of individual annual performance they were penalized on average 3.8 percentage point. Individual investors' losses are equivalent to 2.2% of Taiwan's gross domestic product or 2.8% of total personal income. You're talking about a huge amount of, of money that, that's at loss. Every year, JP Morgan and Dalbar and, and Bloomberg, they put out their, their guide to the markets or some of their investor statistics. And it shows most recently, so the 20-year annualized returns from 2002 to the end of 2021. The S&P 500 has averaged over that time period 9.5%, and that's including the 2008-2009 crash. Average investors, individual investors, have averaged 3.6%. So one-third of the return of just the, the broader markets. Why? It's because of what we're talking about, right? It's this outrage in what is happening, whether you know today it's inflation and Ukraine and uh, midterm elections and interest rates. So these are all the, the topics that are dominating conversation today. But go back 
go back, you know, six, seven years ago, we were talking about Brexit and Grexit and all the European crisis and debt around the world. And, uh, you know, so the, the narrative can change, right? The war wasn't in Ukraine. It was in Syria at that time. And there's always this reason where we can feel this outrage and we're going to have some opportunity to change what we're doing with our money. But the reality is, right, here, here's the part that's the broken record on this podcast. Create the financial plan understand the risk that you can take budget how much money you should be saving and investing for long term put it to work make sure that you're checking in on it periodically so that your plan is in place to help you accomplish your goals and focus more on identifying the lifestyle that you want to live and making sure you have the resources to help fulfill and 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 produce that that type of lifestyle so let's put that all together andrew right you mentioned ukraine we mentioned this on previous episodes Outrage addiction doesn't differentiate your portfolio from your religion, from your politics, from your daily life. Again, what you're putting mm. between your eyes and your ears. So we're talking constantly, year to date, we've been talking constantly about three things. Ukraine, supply chain, and inflation. Of those three things, we feel that there is a direct correlation to our investments. There is not. You're lying to yourself when you see bombings in Ukraine, it's horrific. And your brain immediately, though, says that affects your Apple stock. It does not. But your brain tells you it does because it's addicted to that dopamine spike. And again, dopamine spike doesn't have to be the good feeling from a, you know, a, a glass of wine. The dopamine spike can be just as powerful, if not more, on the negative end. Inflation. You go to the gas pump, you pump your gas at six bucks a gallon. You go, good Lord, what's, what's, what's happening right now? Then you look at your portfolio while you're waiting for the gas to fill up, right? And you look at your Robinhood account. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. You're not looking for that silver lining. You're not looking for the sunshine. You're not looking for that low unemployment rate. You're not looking for the positive earnings from the corporations that you've invested in. You're not even looking at when those earnings are. You are now expecting and creating the need for your brain to supply you with more dopamine by finding more things that are negative, ultimately negatively impacting your portfolio. And then you miss the nuances too, right? So this article also goes over the, the four categories of why there was a 3.8 percentage point annual reduction in the return on aggregate portfolios of individual investors. The losses are broken mm -hmm. down to four categories. Trading losses, 27%. Commissions, 32%. Transaction mm -hmm. taxes, 34%. And market timing losses, 7%. What does that tell you, Andrew? Well, it tells me commissions and transaction taxes, you're saying to yourself all the key phrases of a gambling addict. You're saying, I'll make it back. I'll get back to ground zero. The next, right? <laughs> the next one, I'll, I'll do better, right? I, well, I know what mistakes I made. The mistake you made was, was selling it after a day of holding it or a week or, or a month of holding it, right? The mistake you made was yeah. not doing the research before you bought it. The mistake you made was being so outraged, either fearful or greedy, right? And the outrage can come in the form of greed as well. You made the mistake of not doing the proper research before making that purchase and purchasing stocks or mutual funds with a vision of, I am going to get rich quick. I'm going to make money. I am smarter than the other 95% of, of people that, that make losses. I'm going to be one of those 5% that day trades and yep. makes money. 
Not happening. Infamous words. Infamous words in investing, right? This time it's different. This time it's different. <laughs> the, and the, I wonder how many people, particularly in that transaction taxes section, right? 34% of trading losses can be attributed to transaction taxes. Mm-hmm. You had talked about how, uh, or I don't know if you referenced this, but the, the tax haul on meme stocks in 2021. So you had this frenzy of meme stock buying and, and selling. And uh, there was uh, some economists who looked at a large portion of the increase in tax revenue last year came from meme stocks. And they joked, meme stocks were very, very good to the IRS. Why? Because short-term capital gains are taxed at an exorbitantly higher rate, meaning if you held a stock position for less than 12 months, then then long-term capital gains rates. And Andrew, I... And if you're trading, you're paying so... The need to have even greater performance on your investments because you're giving money to the IRS that you shouldn't be. Yeah, Andrew, and and we talked about, you know, some some different people that we've encountered that in 2020 made this very mistake, right? Hey, you know, the the right idea in a sense, hey, there's blood on the streets, let's make some money, right? Let's buy some things that have been beaten down in value, right? And then we'll sell them like 2 weeks later and we'll make a fortune. They didn't understand nor did they do the research to find out that short-term capital gains are taxed at ordinary income tax rates, period. If you made $400,000 in short-term capital gains, well, you just paid a tax bill of, what's that? The quick math, $148,000 of that you owe to Uncle Sam. Now, we know those kinds of traders, right? When they do that and they make $400,000 profit, they don't put that in their checking account and say, hey, I'm going to have to pay Uncle Sam 37% come April that 15th. Money, that money is spent. That money is gone. It's either, in the, it's either in the gas tank of a Ferrari or back in some other stock that they're hoping is going to make a million dollars the next day. Don't make that mistake, folks. All right, let's wrap it up here for today. For Dollars and Sensibilities, I am Bill McBride. Andrew Marks. Thanks so much. We'll see you on the flip side of the coin. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Dollars and Sensibility podcast. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you can join us for each and every episode. Follow us on social media at WIS Advisors and be sure to check out our website at wisadvisors.com. Tune in for the next step on the bridge between dollars and the mind of the sensible investor. Thanks for listening. Bill McBride and Andrew Martz are investment advisor representatives and registered representatives with Western International Securities Incorporated. All the opinions expressed by Andrew, Bill and all podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Western International Securities. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Western International Securities may maintain positions discussed in this podcast.